Hello, you're listening to KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. This is the Hive Poetry Collective. I'm Erin Redfern, and today we're going to be talking with Kelly Crescia Moeller, who is a poet and visual artist. Her poems have been nominated for Pushcart Prizes, Best New Poets, and Best of the Net, and have appeared widely in journals and at literary websites, including Gargoyle, North American Review, Poet Lore, Salamander, Thrush Poetry Journal, Valparaiso Poetry Review, Waterstone Review, and Ziziva, among others. An associate editor at Glass Liar Press, she lives in the Bay Area with her husband, two sons, and their basset hound. Shade of Blue Trees from Two Sylvia's Press is Kelly's first poetry collection and a finalist for the Wilder Prize. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having Good me, Erin. Yeah, really, I'm uh, delighted I'm to be here. So um, let's start off with a poem. Let's okay. just go for it. And the, the first poem in Shade of Blue Trees, um, I think is really an excellent first poem. It sets up all of the themes that will you know, start kind of braiding out of it through the rest of the, the book. So let's start there. Thank you. This is called Portent with Moonset and Blackbirds. For a long time, I wanted to drink a cup of winter, to become tipsy on early dark and longer starshine, the thinning light, my favorite ether. These days I am uncertain, dead reckoning my way through, surrendering to mystery and surprise of mapless navigation. That fistful of blackbirds thrown across my windshield, I don't know what their flurried wing beats were trying to tell me. Not every moment is a teacher in the same way patience does not mean measured inaction. I am only a woman who continues to bury her dead, wearing a clenched jaw that expects diamond dust from crown crush, shoulders that ride so high on worry they mistake themselves for wings. I've never liked what I was called, even though my father named me and my name in his voice was the last word I'd hear him speak. Last night, I went to bed feeling hopeless and profoundly lonely. I left the curtains open wide and sleep plowed a ragged field of uneven rows. But in the morning's early darkness, the fullest moon poured its cool, bewitching light into the small bowls of my room and garden. As it hung impossibly low over the Pacific, I drank and drank. Oh, thank you. I love that poem. Thank you. Um, this is really a book that's set in a place. And it's not just Northern California or California. It is really like a Big Sur kind of book. Yeah, most well, this book wouldn't have happened had I not had the writing retreats over the last um, decade, like from 2009, well, probably 2008 to 2017. So nine, 10 years mm -hmm. of um, these wonderful writing retreats with Amber Coverdale Summerall and uh, that are set at uh, the new Camadoli Hermitage and Big Sur. And so um, it is very much rooted there 
I wouldn't have a book, I don't think, without yeah. without those retreats. So and that that really, you know, kind of happened as as the poem, you know, as the poem unfolds, that's really what happened. It's mm -hmm. it's one of the rare times where I've had a poem come so quickly. Oh, um, don't and, you love it? And, yeah, just completely <laughs> wild. And, you know, you I, I, yeah. I woke up at, you know, like three or four in the morning and couldn't sleep. And yeah. and we had picked out these uh, Merwin lines from an envelope like a couple oh. of days before. And the first line of the poem was the random line I picked from an envelope, never thinking I was going to like use it anywhere. Or right. Just it was just sort of like, OK, this is a good this is an interesting line. I don't know, yeah. you know, for a long time I wanted. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's an interesting kind okay. of start. And um, and then I just was restless. And I've always learned while being at Big Sur and you wake up in the middle of the night, you always need to go outside. Yeah, or open the because there's no competing uh, lights there, with, and it's just right. the utter starshine everywhere oh, and Milky yeah. Way and everything. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Right. And so I opened these drapes, and it was just this moon was like, it was unbelievable. I've yeah. never seen anything like it, and it will. Oh, it was one of my most profound experiences in nature because it just right. it didn't even look real i mean it was just yeah. sort of like what is happening yeah and um and i just went from there and it was just like this for a long time i wanted and it just it you just know things out, from yeah. the drive up coming to big sur from san jose right. were very present these blackbirds flying across my window which was just like what is happening mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. i mean it was yeah all these things started to coalesce you know yeah. my my deceased father made an appearance as as my parents often both of them have have passed often they, they visit you sure, they visit me in big sur yeah for sure yeah. and so um yeah, I was really glad that because this poem wasn't written until 2017. It, it happened like the first week of December in 2017. And I had been trying to get this book published for many, many years in different forms and versions and things. And I was really glad that um, it didn't get picked up until it was picked up because this poem wouldn't have been in there. And I um, I'm really glad it is because it does, as you say, set a tone and sort of like, okay, here's what you can expect. This, right. this, is, this is kind of the mood of the book and yeah. where we're going. These are the threads we're weaving with right here. Yeah. Right. And it's a, I mean, and it's a chilly, it's a chilly poem. It's a chilly It is a chilly book. poem. And I didn't think yeah. it was at first. And then when you, uh, when you, it's interesting, things happen in your life after you write a poem and I wrote this poem the first week in December. And literally when I came back home from the retreat about a week later, my son had a um, hemorrhagic stroke and nearly died. And this is, this was, it was just a catastrophic illness that he had right. that he is now by some miracle and wonderful science is okay. <laughs> yes. Um, You've had recent good news. Yeah. yeah and that We're was happy wonderful. That. But I mean, it was like, you think, oh, this beautiful big moon, and I came to look at it as um, a sign. It was a warning, <laughs> you know, and that's where portent came in. The poem had different titles before that. I was think I had it called a lamentation. 
uh, things oh, like wow. that. I had all these different things for it. And then I, when this happened to our family, I started writing a series of portents and these kind of like right. things that come into your life that take it into a completely different direction and um, kind of lay you out. And so, like I said, this happened a week, this, this moon came to me a week before this happened. And oh. I was like, I think it was a heads up moon. I think it was a heads up. Yeah. This like, is you in your, in your Ziziva. Um, I think it's like a blog interview. Um, mm -hmm. You say, when I am depressed, grieving the loss of beloveds and doubt of what to do, I turn to nature. She's not always nurturing or peaceful. She can be that too, but she gets me where I need to be. There is a special kind of magic in yeah, Big Sur that huge. is really um, incredible and beyond uh, me. And sometimes when you're writing in Big Sur, and then you come back home, you're just like, nobody's gonna, nobody, <laughs> what is this? Right, right, you know, it's so right. out there and so just on this different level of, uh, I don't know, consciousness or, yeah. or whatnot that it's hard to relate to once you get back home. Yeah, how are we gonna when tether you're there, it back? When you're yeah. there, it's like everything makes sense, but then you come right. home and you're like, what is- And you're standing in the grocery line and you're like, what, what just yeah. happened? Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. What just happened? Yeah, yeah. it's, uh, yeah. And yeah. being in Big Sur on a silent retreat, so you just, I mean, there's, you just have yourself, you do some speaking in, in the retreat thing, uh, when, 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 when we're in group, but otherwise it's just you and the mountain and the Pacific. Wow. Were all the retreats silent? Yes. Oh my gosh. And so that's, there's where the no line... phones. There's you, you, you can't <laughs> oh even have cell goodness. service. I mean, there's no TV. There's, yeah. there, it's just you and okay. the quail. <laughs> right that's your line in another poem right nobody told yeah. the bees right nobody told the bees it was a silent retreat and i mean yeah. that's just it's and it's wonderful and it's terrifying yeah because you're just left with yourself and yeah i want to pick uh, up on that and your yeah. fearlessness because in this book you very carefully go into some very dark places and look you know with a clear-eyed gaze at what is the, what am I looking at? What is this darkness? This book is not afraid of darkness. Has, is that temperamental? Have you kind of always been that way? Or were you just, you mentioned your son's illness, but I know you had lost your parents and you were facing your own. And let's not forget Stella, your basset hound, but you would, yeah, you would right. face like, you were just getting pounded by the universe. Is that where this comes from? Or did you already I have think, that? I think it's a combination of having a number of years back to back that were just leveling on many mm -hmm. different uh, arenas, whether uh, it was my parents dying a little, little less than a year and a half apart, but also um, before that, they were just, you know, dealing with aging parents and one who right. was, had Alzheimer's and having to move them out from their house into a care facility. Right. These are just all little traumas that right. that it's just incredibly difficult. Uh, and any anybody who's gone through this knows how hard this is. And so it's very stressful. The loss before the loss. Ex exactly. And then I had a ton of health problems where I had two major surgeries uh, within like eight months of each other that just took forever to heal from. 
Yeah, and then of course the loss of my dog and which was really awful. <laughs> Anybody who has beloved pets know it was just like I think the straw that broke the camel's back yeah, at that point. Yeah. That's and how it then, happens sometimes. And then uh, of course this just devastating illness of of my son that was just like, whoa. Yeah. And so through through all that, the big sur retreats were there. And okay. so sometimes when you have to get through big things like that and compartmentalize as you go along in your daily life, just to get through there, you can kind of let everything down. Right. And so, yes, but to answer your question, I've always been more melancholic, uh, as a person. And so, um, darkness is just, um, my go-to or being able right. to look at it directly and um pragmatically kind of yeah um, there's a steadiness with which you approach it like it will freak a lot of people out and they'll need distraction they'll need activity they'll need to get away and you're like oh right. no i'm gonna stop and look at this well yeah and that's because too you're on the mountain and you can't really yeah there's I mean, no tv <laughs> there are there are many there are many nights where like the second day of the retreat where you're like i gotta i gotta i gotta get out of here i got yeah. i'm going crazy but you just kind of you know stick with it i've learned just to let all the feelings in rather oh, than wow. um rather than totally distract myself from yeah. those because it's just I don't know. I really think grieving is so important to face head on and right. and to allow the time for in your life. Um, I'm not a big fan of the show must go on. I really think you need to give yourself that space and rest and mourn. And, um, you know, there were just a lot of losses. Yeah. Of, you had a lot of work to do. So it was like, okay, guess this is what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that. Um, and I'll go back to the lines from from Portent with Moonset and Blackbirds that you started re um, off by reading. These days I am uncertain, dead, reckoning my way through, surrendering to mystery and surprise of mapless navigation. That's a great description of grief. Is it? Would you also consider this a description of faith? Yeah, I think so. I, I, well, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of things where, um, uh, well, you know, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, it kind of wavers for me. Um, I think, I think both, um, grief and faith are just incredibly grounding in in a in a strange type of way i think um it's they're both so pure yeah and um yeah i mean it's it's um yeah i think grief and faith are super intertwined and mm -hmm. and my my faith is, is is nature and so that's why i go yeah. to it okay that's yeah, my that church explains a lot yeah. mm -hmm. so um surrender i think the word surrender made me think of faith too surrendering to mystery and surprise of mapless navigation and then we get that the poem um where you're looking at the painting the Vermeer yeah. painting, yeah yeah um woman in blue reading a letter right. And, right and the speaker in that poem is like oh my gosh for the first time i see the map mm -hmm. the thing the background pops right. out yeah, right. this isn't a really mappy book. There's not a lot of maps and a lot of poems, but it does have that sense of, um, I don't know, finding your way through. Finding home. 
kind yeah. of too, uh, or or yeah. what home means to you and mm. and remembering home. This is KSQD Santa Cruz ninety point seven FM. I'm Erin Redfern, and we're talking with Kelly Crescia Moeller on the Hive Poetry Collective. And since we're talking about home, let's move to the next poem, um, which addresses home in its absence. On why I no longer sit at the window seat on a train. It's a good day for a lie down, overcast and wet wooled. Even the rain wants to be horizontal. I am daydreaming of goose down when I enter the train, scoot into an open seat, press my cheek against the streaked window. The station's soothing voice announces, Zurück bleiben bitte. Someone runs in just before the doors close, slams me against the side of the compartment, takes a lungful of my air. He asks my name if I want some fun back at his room. I buy time before the next stop, tell him I'm Whitney from America, anything but my real name in his mouth. Now he locks his arm through mine and thick fingers jab my ribs, his leg an anchor, his pocked face smirks like he's already notched his belt. I imagine the defense move my brother taught me where I smash the palm heel into some asshole's nose, shifting bone into brain. Where is my Siegfried in this country of the Nibelungenlied? What would Krimhild do? My eyes ransack the forest of businessmen, cut purses, housefrauen, the heroine chic, rows of enameled faces, cow dumb, indifferent as teeth. Let the Ausländer fight it out. Thigh grab, elbow jab, hand slap, his broken English splinters the air, Whitney Houston in my head singing, I will always love you on some godforsaken loop as I mentally run through my list of German imperatives. Hilfe, Polizei, Vergewaltigung, a word that takes longer to say than the act it defines. I backhand him across the mouth, escape before the door slam. He's waving, waving through the glass, a blurry fat lip sneer retreating. The air staccatoed with rasps of my breath. It begins to hail marbles. Even the gods are throwing stones. Only later, with candlelight und Butterkuchen, do I resurface to Vivaldi's strings on the radio. I mention my morning combat commute. My host shrugs his shoulders before loading the meissen with another helping of schadenfreude. He says, da muss man durch. One must go through it as if it were a tunnel, something to be run through. Oh, thank you. Um, I, one thing I really like about the book as a whole is that there are poems like this that address uh, misogyny and violence against women, and they aren't the focus of the book, but they're there. And so the way you've neither made this violence the story but you also haven't written it out of the story. Um, just for me, made it very true to you know a lived experience as a woman in this world. These things are part of it. We don't always talk about or include in our book of poems. And I just like that they show up. Um, and and have and we have to as a re as a reader, I have to figure out how does this go with the other things I'm learning in the other poems. How do you know? And that's that happens in our lives. We're going along, living our lives. Some guy does this thing, and we're like, mm -hmm. wait, how do I reconcile this with 
who I am. Right. Right. Um, thank you. It's, it's, it was another loss, um, in a lot of ways because, uh, um, I mean, um, it took something away from me right that day. Uh, and I've not got it back. And so, um, (laughs) you can call it innocence. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, there are a couple of poems in, in here just about that. So, I mean, and that is another, uh, form of grieving. Right. And the lot, the loss of what the man did, but the, the, the almost to me, it felt bigger loss of the indifference. I mean, like apparently the bystander effect, um, can cross linguistic boundaries. And, um, yeah, it was, it was horrifying in a lot of ways and, um, um, a loss in a lot of ways as well, just this sort of like, okay, not only has this never happened to me before, but now I have to be super wary on public transportation of where I sit. I mean, and that wasn't the only occasion something like that had happened to me. Um, it's just the one I, uh, that, that wanted a poem written about it, I guess. And so, um, yeah, it was just, uh, yeah. And, and just seeing people just not caring. Right. I or mean, not knowing who knows why they didn't react. Uh, right. It was just, I mean, yeah. that the train was packed and it was just like, incredible, okay. incredible. All right. Yeah. And so, and this yeah. is something women artists have to negotiate in the world. Like I think of how many good poems are written with the viewer looking through the window of a train. Well, <laughs> maybe, yeah. you know, now I can't now sit, I can't there, sit anymore. there anymore. <laughs> exactly. Great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I, I, this is a more narrative poem than mm-hmm. many of the poems um, in the book. Yes. And I just was really impressed by how flexible the forms are. It seems like you don't have a, a form you like or something you're wedded to, but are really attuned to like, what form does this poem want to be in? Mm. Which is that the case, or is this poem older? How would you describe your? It is an older poem, and I think I was writing it. um, Well, I just I'm very I I think of form as like a color, and if I was painting, and it's just sort of like it when when I if I if somebody accepts a poem of mine and they can't absolutely mimic the form. to me, that's like saying we can't hang this picture. Uh, we have we have to hang it without the color blue. I mean, that to me, it's that important to me right. because I think a good, an appropriate form. Once that poem finds itself and where it should be on the page, I think things break open in the best way, or everything falls in line as it yeah. should be, and that's what I pay attention to. There's many times where I'm like, this poem is not working. Why can't I get it to work? And I will open it up or I will put it in another form or I will try it in another way, or I will break Mm. the line differently. Mm. And to me, it is a crucial tool. Um, And so I really try to listen to what the poem is telling me. What form is it that you want to be? Do you want to be just (laughs) nice and all crunched together, delineated perfectly? Or do you want to be in a prose block? Or do you want a lot of space? Um, You know, I I really, um, you know, the panel poems, I couldn't figure out. There's four of them in the book. They're longer. 
And it's an invented form because I couldn't figure out how this wanted to appear. And I kept seeing Yeah. long panels like in, in uh, triptychs or polyptychs Right. and, and painting, how they Mm -hmm. hang together. And so I wanted to try to uh, emulate that or put that. And once I did that and put that in, the, in these forms, I, f I just felt more secure in what I was doing. I don't know uh, <laughs> right. why. And More sure-footed, so... yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was like, okay, this is like, okay, your coat's buttoned up now. You're ready to go out. <laughs> you're ready. You can go out You're in the ready world to go now. out into the world. You Oh, know, that's oh, what I think when I find the right little form, Anne I'm like, Bradstreet yes. moment there. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, little <laughs> one. Off you there go you in go. your Off, in your buttoned up off coat. you go. What's striking about them is among among several things is the dense lushness of the language. This like I don't know about art like you do, but to me, I thought of when people take photographs that are kind of blown out, like the light, it like. I just feel like metaphor is getting blown out in these, in these pieces. So I'll give listeners just a quick sample. Um, this is from panels from a blue summer. There are four panel poems um, anchoring four sections of the book and each is um, itself anchored to a season. So here's just a sample of, of how it can sound. Peacocks ring the rotund rotunda, shadow steps through the step from Dachau to Dachas. up to their knees in windbreaker trees, chryselephantined. A walleye jay cracks a cherry skull against the cheekbone of dusk. The world is running out of virgins. I'll stop there because that's a great line. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so, so can you tell us not just about, I mean, you started to tell us about the form and I'm curious if the triptych kind of rules this too, if there's a, supposed to be a central piece or how we're supposed to approach the different sections. Um, but then I have a, a kind of a, for me, a more pressing question about how did you just let yourself go nuts with metaphor? I just really wanted to see how far I could take emotion by using metaphor. And so, um, I just went as high lyric and leaping and um, I just wanted to express how I was feeling and what I was seeing um, in my head and see how that would translate as metaphor. And if I could convey the emotion I wanted to convey through imagery, I wanted to, and I wanted to take it as, um uh heady as i possibly could Yeah. Do you listen to opera? Do you <laughs> like opera? I don't really care for opera but um i i do like intense like color saturation Okay. and i like things that are passionate and so you know one would think uh, like maria callas i adore <laughs> um but i don't i i love the arias of the opera yeah. so um Yeah. Uh, I just, uh, I wanted these to be like things that you could inhabit and almost, uh, lose yourself in, Yeah, um, they, and, yeah, and mission I wanted, accomplished. and, um, yeah, so that's, I just, it, they're, they're really over the top and you either, I think you either like them or you don't, I don't think there's any in between. And each section as I, as I have it is, um, I have like a little, couplet that normally a rhyming couplet that goes to each part or or sometimes it's three lines um but, but and each i mean the majority of the panels and three of them each section is a different voice 
but it mm-hmm. may be in the same overarching theme, but each is a different voice. Yeah, I was, I found them challenging as a reader at first. I was like, whoa, who's, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but the feeling hopefully should be mm-hmm. the same. Yeah. But the voice is different, um, except in the spring panel, which is all about Marie Antoinette. Yeah. Um, and the diff- each section is a different stage of her life. And so um, the spring panel was really challenging for me to write uh, because I kept wanting to write this poem about Marie Antoinette. And I was also wanting to, to finish the spring poem. And I was like, oh, my God, I think I think Marie Antoinette is the spring, is the panel. spring poem. <laughs> and I was like, what wow. is happening? <laughs> and so wow. um, I was really uh, happy to to marriage that. But uh, the others are um, all different voices. Where does your fascination with Marie Antoinette come from? I have no idea. I have just always really... Uh, uh, had this um, soft spot for her of, yeah. of a very, very young, I mean, obviously incredibly privileged uh, girl, um, but to um, to just be like this pawn uh, right. of her mother and to be married off and to leave her home and um, and to just be thrown into a world that she had no idea about with incredible pressure and um uh i don't know that just always really um got me and um i wanted and you know i'm big into opulence so hi that was <laughs> <laughs> right there's some nice you know? fabrics in this book i'll say that. right and so um <laughs> I don't know. Um, I just found out uh, genetically, I'm sort of like somewhere in her uh, maternal line <laughs> somewhere, which is just totally random. Um, but I don't know. I just have always uh, had a soft spot for her and I wanted to write about it. And um, I'm I'm glad I did. And then I found out that she never saw the ocean and that just kind of killed me. Um, <sighs> and so I had to put that in there too. I read in another interview you did that you got married and moved to Germany. I did. While your husband was finishing his PhD. So um, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So you also as a, and you were young then. Yeah. 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 So um, yeah, that was very perceptive of you. Did you know Um, German? No. Oh my God. (laughs) I had, I had, I think a semester of it in college. Um, But as you know, much different to learn a language in school and then to be immersed in it every day. Wow. (laughs) So no, I was not fluent in language uh, in German uh, Mm -hmm. there. I I was taking it there and whatnot. So, and that was a hard move for me. So yeah, I, that's like I said, very perceptive of you. There's probably a kinship there of knowing Mm -hmm. what it's like to be, uprooted and the Auslander. Um, yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. And that mm. there there was um an incredible amount of uh prejudice there when I lived there in the nineties. Um, wow. Yeah, it was it was awful. But um here, here I am. I survived. <laughs> <laughs> now is that where you did your art history graduate work? No, that was before I was, um, I was supposed to write my master's thesis in Germany. I had found out the semester before that we weren't going to be living in California, that we were going to be living in Hamburg. And so I had 
taken my comps for the masters and did all my coursework for the masters, all I had to do was write the thesis. And so my thesis changed because I uh, was like, I, I can't, um, I was going to do a thesis on Velasquez and I, uh, I'm not very talented with languages. And so, um, I was having a hard time reading Spanish and trying to think in Spanish and, and then also taking German classes. <laughs> and I said, yeah, this isn't really working. And just, yeah. I was horribly depressed when I first moved to Germany. It was really hard for me to leave home yeah. and, and everything. Um, so. Um, I changed my thesis to a German topic mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, I think I just got overwhelmed with it and it just was more like a PhD type of thesis than a master's. And I just ended up not doing it. I did so yeah. much work and research, but I never finished writing it. So I don't have mm -hmm. a master's, but I have all of the coursework the and coursework. all of the, all that, which it was like, yeah, great. What are you going to do with this? You don't have your master's. That's really <laughs> oh. nice. But well, what you're going to do with it, it's well, going what, to inform your poetry. Well, exactly. And honestly, there isn't, I think, a a poem that I have written that I haven't relied on my art history background. Um, and when I found out there was something called ekphrastic poetry, I just about died. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, are you kidding me? I mean, <laughs> I was so happy. And I'm built to write these. Poems. I was like, I cannot <laughs> believe this. How have I not? I mean, it was just like, what are you talking about? This is oh, amazing. Wow. So that's I, really neat. So I use it all the time my skills of observation and whatnot i mean that's all art historical based and the yeah. knowledge that i have and um yeah i use it all the time it's and not i would venture probably also the confidence in your imagery the confidence uh, in very images. well very well could be yeah so um well let's we're talking a lot let's hear another poem um okay. let's hear waiting for sharon in the er because okay. we've got some we've got some Gauguin in there. We do. And Rousseau, I think he and makes Rousseau. it. Yeah, and Rousseau. Um, waiting for Karen in the ER begins with an epigraph from Adrian Rich. Bad news is always arriving. Make a fist. The ambulance ride begins with a deep poke into a surprised vein. Open, close, time-lapse photography, a lotus unfurling in my palm. I see sunlight breaking through crowns of eucalyptus, breathe oxygen through a tube. I'd recognize his face anywhere, paramedic Gauguin. Civilization is what makes you sick. Is that why your Christs are yellow and green? Yes, and blue trees. What of the red door in the forest? We are never out of the woods. Gurneys glide gondola quiet through corridored canals. An oarsman ferries me into an x-ray room. His shark tooth bracelet clangs against the metal buoy. I want to dive into his seafoam scrubs, breaststroke into March. The doctor orders a rainbow belt of slender vials. She pockets my blood in her jungle print top, swings on a vine, disappears into Rousseau's foliage. I don't see her again for two hours. She's consulted the gorilla who is sitting on my chest. I eat red jello with a spork. Time drifts through saline solution, 
the slow drip counts the days small hours i have the room to myself so tempting just to lie there waiting stock still with a coin in my mouth oh thank you i love that poem i love the ending and i'm just um really appreciative of the fact that you move through you move from um you know some of the masters of visual art into the surreal doctor swinging out of the room on a vine with you know your blood in her pocket you fit a line in like this i eat red jello with a spork and somehow get to end on the line lie there waiting stock still with a coin in my mouth and it all kind of fits i would have probably before this i would have said no you can't you there are some words like spork that you can't mm-hmm. use in a poem but you do yeah. Well, it's such a surreal word. Um, if you think yeah. about it, it's so it's like spork. Okay. Um, and <laughs> the experience in an emergency room when you think you're having a heart attack is a very surreal experience, especially I was there by myself. So um, oh you, yeah. you, you're, you're more attuned to everything going on without you. You're not talking with a loved one who's there waiting with you. It's right. just like you're hyper aware Pure of, perception yeah. of what's going on. And you know, as every good poet should, you keep a notebook with you. <laughs> <laughs> you were not, you were not. I, I swear. You we're taking yeah. notes. In the I yard. asked the nurse, I was like, can you give me my purse on the chair? <laughs> She's like, okay. And so I was, I was taking notes as I was in the emergency room. Yes. Some people want their drugs. Kelly wants her pencil. I wanted both. We're talking with Kelly Crescia Muller about her first book, Shade of Blue Trees, on the Hive Poetry Collective. This is KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. You, that epigraph to the poem by Adrian mm-hmm. Rich, and there, I'll go back to the train poem. I love that you also included, this happens to me too, in the most bizarre situations, I'm like, why is this song running through my head? You had Whitney Houston. I yeah. will the most inappropriate song to be thinking of in that moment. Right, and it's on right. a loop. You can't stop hearing it. Right. Um, and so um, there is this kind of high culture, low culture. They rest comfortably with each other um, in, in the book as a whole. Um, and when it comes to visual art, you're really naming some of the great like male European artists and that, uh, coming out of that tradition. And when you are um, in epigraph mode, you are often quoting women singers and poets music musicians you reference are kate bush nico case amy winehouse joni mitchell um, and writers you reference are melinda markham alice fulton joanna clink virginia wolf audrian rich those are just some of them so mm-hmm. how do you how do you um like you're inheriting a visual and a literary tradition and and who do you do you think of yourself as having ancestors do you think of yourself in a lineage or in a sisterhood or how do you how do you think about I would that? say more of a I guess a sisterhood <laughs> um I mean 
poetry, art, music, nature, those are my, my babies. Those are, <laughs> without those, I'm nothing. I mean, those are just my, my cornerstones, my bedrocks. Mm -hmm. And so um, listening to music um, has been something that has been really crucial to um, my well-being, my, um, how I nurture myself. It also puts me in moods which I think is a much, very much of a, a, a feeling. And so, you know, w when I'm quoting Joni Mitchell, she is as much of a poet to me as Audrey and Rich. I mean, she's probably one of the best narrative poets. That's not a narrative poet that there is. I mean, yeah, for it, me yeah. anyway, or Kate Bush or Nico Case or, um, uh, Amy Winehouse, of course, just for, uh, again, a feeling that they give in their voices, in their lyrics. Um, another big one who's not in the book for me is uh, Susie and the Banshees. Oh, yeah. Um, Susie Sue. Um, I have loved them. They're my favorite band since I was like 12. And I mean, you want to talk about lyrics, boy. I yeah. mean, amazing. And um so I, I carry all that with me um, all the time and it's cellular for me. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, when I'm reading uh, poets, of course, too, that's, I mean, Melinda Markham, we actually went to high school together. Uh, we're in the same graduating class. And while we weren't super close um, in high school, um, I just loved knowing that she was just becoming an incredible voice in poetry and it was just so great to see and and so um when i was writing the spring panel um she was very present i was reading her collections and yeah. so i was really glad to use yeah. to use her as an epigraph in there because you know she can't speak for herself anymore and i don't want her work to fade away because she yeah. was incredible so those are, I mean, just like everybody, I think we just carry those things around uh, mm -hmm. with us or they help inform our own work and what we're wanting to convey or stirring up feelings. Again, right. I'll go back to that feeling. Yeah, we're swimming in it. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Yeah, um, yeah. I was talking with another poet the other day and she's going through some stuff and a, a song was stuck. She was like, the song's been stuck in my head and I can't get it out of my head. I'm like. Uh, that's where I live. Doesn't it happen for you all the time? And she was right. like, no. The repeat button is and everything. She was angry. <laughs> she was like, I feel like my, I've been colonized and I don't, I've never felt that way. I felt like, oh yeah, stuff swimming in my head, but it's just, it's just the other sea life, you know, in here with me. Right. Or I often feel like, you know, the things that are making the most noise are oh, the yeah. things that get my attention. And it's like, what should I be paying attention to in this? You know, what is this trying to tell me? I they're mean, waving their arms and saying, hey, yeah, over they're here. like, hey, we're, yeah. you know, look this way. This is <laughs> yeah. where you want to go. So that may yeah. lead me somewhere else yeah. or where I, where I need to be in order to get something else uh, on the page. Well, because you brought up Joni, would you like to read A Night of One's Own? I can do that, surely. Okay. Yes. And uh, for listeners, um, I would, would you call this a monostic poem where each line? You know, I call them free line poems. You call them free line poems. So we're looking at a page with um, visually, it looks like one line stanzas. 
Right. Yeah. Uh, in each line, yeah, it does act as its own stanza, should appear as as its own um, kind of entity. And I owe okay. I owe that all to Sally Ashton, um, another wonderful um, local poet who um, just really opened up that whole new way of looking at mm at that i was like this is how i think i did not know that oh. there was a a poem form that did this so i was thrilled so okay, yeah well, i want to talk more about that when you after you read that poem. <laughs> <laughs> a night of one's own make a wish and a dandelion explodes there is no precedent for this i smoked my annual cigarette in january Virginia rolled her own. Some words can only be written at night. Two boys tucked in a redwood cathedral, slow breaths on the cliff of sleep. Paper sucks ink like blood into sand. The process. Dark chocolate, Pinot Noir, more please. I could drink a case of Joni. Candlelight viewed through a steamy shower door, midnight lantern. A clutch of barn owls clamors for food. My basset hound sleeps. I take odd comfort reading even pages. Virginia wrote only in purple ink that even the ooze could not fade. I ache for sex as night moves over bodies entwined. This is what I tell myself, whistling in the dark, singing to the moon. Why would I ever erase this? Well, thank you for reading that. Um, and thank again, you. in Waterstone Review, you quoted Alberto Alvaro Rios, the best line in a poem better be the line I'm reading. Yeah, that's a fantastic quote. I love that quote. Really? So I find it terrifying. Oh, I love it. I <laughs> love the, it in that it, yeah. it's just, yes, it, it, I love it because it's terrifying and I think mm -hmm. it should be terrifying because mm -hmm. it's you should the pressure be, it puts on the line right it, well the, the the pressure it puts on on the poet and that mm -hmm. um you know you exactly when you're reading it's like things should be there for a reason <laughs> you know <laughs> Right. It, it should hopefully either get you to the next line or mm -hmm. or or wrap things up or um, pose a question, something. It, right. it should be doing something. It shouldn't right. just be there. And so what do you mean this is the way you think in these like associative leaps? It's like, is it kaleidoscopic? Yeah. Is that Yeah, uh, it's fair? just I do think in leaping. Th I think many people do. I think mm -hmm. um, I, I you just, you know, how you're going along and something will come into your mind. Okay, and, yeah. okay this will take you here. Right. Uh, seemingly disparate thoughts. And all of a sudden you're right. weaving this pattern of mm -hmm. things that make sense um, or that don't make sense, but that you have to then go back and question later mm -hmm. on where you're like okay why was i making this connection between these yeah yeah two things and i mean i guess that's true too sometimes how you can build metaphor mm -hmm. uh as yeah. well yeah i um, think it's an associative logic yeah right so um yeah. i just had never seen a form quite like this to where mm -hmm. it was just really this pure and um 
but it, yeah. And when I read Sally's free lines, I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> you're just amazing. Yeah. That's a great feeling. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. To recognize. It was like, it was like, yeah. it was like the, when I discovered ekphrastic poetry too, right. it was like, those were two just huge watershed wow. moments for me that I will never forget. And did they happen close together? They did. Yeah. When did you start writing? Um, I have, I started writing like, you know, eighth grade or something like that. Oh, and then, and yeah. then abandoned it in, in college when I was focusing just mostly primarily on art history and right. humanities and uh, wasn't thinking about poetry and then got back into it again, uh, really seriously in like 2006. And then right. I was just sort of like, okay, this is, this is, this is what I want. Yeah. This is what I want to do and what I, what I think I should be doing. It was, yeah. um, yeah, it was incredibly, um, electric yeah. for me. It was oh, that just, is neat. It was really like, oh my God. And it did happen almost simultaneously. Hmm. So it was really like oh, wow. overload. <laughs> and then why then, why then is poetry, poetry does seem like the cornerstone for you, where, whereas you appreciate music and you appreciate art, you make art. You, mm. you know, you, you are a visual artist and I, you know, your, your people can look at your work online. Um, and especially, I love your erasure poems. Um, yeah. But what is it about poetry? What do you get from that, that you don't get from the other art forms? That's a really good question that I'm still also trying to figure out. I think um, where during these isolation times and lockdown, I haven't been able to write. I really do need quiet to write and everybody's been home uh, so and we have a really small house so yeah. it's like we're just all together all the time all the time um and uh i have been so grateful for my other art forms to be able because i can paint and i can do erasure poetry when people are here for some reason i don't know why it's like my brain's like yes this is okay to do this yeah now. Yeah. So I've been really, and I always used to think those didn't mean as much to me as poetry. And I don't think that's, um, I've, I've really just begun to realize that it's just, um, you know, all a part of the same mm -hmm. cycle for mm -hmm. me. And it's just like, I was so happy to have painting and erasure poetry during this time. Yeah. I think I would have completely lost my mind. Yeah. But I mean, poetry <laughs> I'm, right now, I'm just trying to figure out sort of where, what am I going to do next? Or what does poetry mean for me now that after you complete a book and you have that part mm -hmm. of it out in the world, you're just kind of, I think I'm just kind of trying to relearn what have I learned from this process and yeah. where, where am I going to go next? And so I've been asking my que this question of myself for the last year, like, who am I when I'm not grieving? Because this book was so much about mm. grief. And mm. these poems were written all through a time when I was grieving mm -hmm. so much. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm trying to figure out what does that mean now that that is um, sort of over, you know, or... Uh, through i'm through it through, through a yeah. different area of it yeah and so um i'm just sitting with that and just trying to go towards things that i find curious and where my curiosity mm -hmm. is taking me and so i'm doing a lot of reading on a lot of different 
things, so whatever's calling, whatever's making the most noise in my yeah. head. You know, yeah, like it's such. I love calling. that intuitive approach. Um, it's it's the only thing I know, or it's the right. only thing that feels right to me. So yeah, I'm trying not to go crazy with like, okay, you haven't written anything in a long time, or they've been very small, or whatever. Um, and just trying to trust the process, trust my the process. process. Yeah. I'm a slow writer anyway. So yeah. um, uh, I'm just trying to be gentle and understand that this is just a banana's time and we are all just trying to get through it. And it's like, yeah. you know, yeah. let's just all hang on. And um, yeah. yeah, but poetry is just super important to me. And yeah. um, but the other the other arts uh, are also important to me. Right. And so I'm glad for all of them. And I'm glad when any of them make an appearance. And I think just I've realized that I'm most happy and a better person to be around when I'm creating something. Yeah, I've had that realization, too. I, I don't remember who said that, you know, they, they need to write like they need air, you know, because mm -hmm. th there's some very melodramatic, like, yeah. I write poetry because I will die. Other and I'm yeah. like, no, I can live without it. And, but but man, no one will want to be around me. Right. I right. would be a monster. Yeah. You know? So uh, that's that's a late realization for me as well. Just sort of like, oh, OK, you just need to be you need to be creating something. Right. And without, yeah. you know, then you won't be a monster. So right. Or like, no one okay. can live with you. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, yeah, okay, really. <laughs> it's like, yes, I can paint. I may not be yeah. able to write, but I'm having trust that things will be there when, yeah. when things are more appropriate. <laughs> and it would be fascinating. I can imagine doing a future interview where, you know, you're talking about how the work you're doing now informs the poetry that you're moving toward, right? Like what color is your next book going to be then? There we go. Yeah. You're asking good nice. questions. Is there anything um, you want to read from the book before you go or anything like new that you're trying out that you'd like to read? Um, there's nothing new I want to really try out at mm -hmm. this point, but I may want to end with the last poem in the book. Yeah. Something that would uh, be lovely to remember. Um, it's it's not too long, and I think it's a good. I felt it was a good ending for the book, and I think it's a good ending for 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 this lovely interview. Thank you. Okay, sounds good. Something to remember. Darkness does not hunger for anything. It has everything it needs. The ribs of shadows are fat with secrets of the living and the dead. It never wallows in loneliness, never says, leave a message for me if you can. It doesn't care about your tongue of honey and stars, your breath of apples and wine. It's busy quilting corners of indifference and will return again and again. As you go from room to room, cloaking your mirrors for winter, let the coldness you feel at the nape move in like fog, shawling you in her gown of gray beads. Listen when she whispers, if you are patient, your eyes will adjust to the dark. Oh, I love it. If you are patient, your eyes will adjust to the dark. And we, it speaks to what we gain from going through grief in a really conscious way. There's a little sliver of hope there. <laughs> there's a sliver. Yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of, I don't know that I needed, I mean, I love it that there's a sliver of hope, but there, it's more than a sliver in this book. There are other places where you, you point out, you know, 
like the gorgeous stars you can see right we can only see this because of the darkness yeah Yeah. so darkness isn't isn't bad isn't always bad right it's a condition yeah it's a it's an environment that mary oliver when she received a box of darkness and only then she knew that was also a gift oh i'm paraphrasing but it's a really great uh mary oliver who i adore so um, yeah one of our great spiritual poets absolutely for sure i that she's my my go-to when all when everything is crumbling I go to Mary Oliver. <laughs> yeah, she was the first poet I discovered that made me oh. think like, oh, oh, yeah. I, yeah. I need more of this, yeah. <laughs> more of this poetry thing. Yeah, no, she's yeah. Uh, astounding. You call your book she. Do you really do. think of it as gendered? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Does I it have do. a personality to you? Does it have a character? I think so. I mean. Or is it um, like a child? Uh, no, it's not like a child. Um, I I don't. I just um, she's very um, <laughs> empowered. Uh, yeah, I love it. She's very empowered. I see her like on the cliffs, hanging out, mm-hmm. wind in her hair. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she's um, yeah, romantic with a big R. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> Yeah, you know, again, drama. Yeah, yeah, I love <laughs> <The> it. Drama, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what she is for me. I mean, yeah. she's um, she's, uh, but also, I mean, a, a quiet power too. She right. she's um, deep in grounded, her, deep in her roots, grounded. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for being thank here with you. us today. I loved your your close read, your questions, just amazing. Really, a, a such mm-hmm. a privilege to talk to you about this and to be asked to do this. I'm incredibly grateful. Well, we appreciate your time. And Shade of Blue Trees is out from Two Sylvia's Press. Um, you can get it at whatever bookstore you patronize. Right, make sure That's they order correct. it for you. It is yes. an amazing book. You've been listening to Kelly Crescio Moller discussing her first book, Shade of Blue Trees, on the Hive Poetry Collective. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM.